as we continue to gather together online, I can't say thank you enough to so many individuals that take time out of their normal weekly schedules to, to come in, to adjust levels on sound and trying to get the picture the best we can with the equipment that we have available to us. And so I just want to say a huge thank you to many uh, that are putting a lot of hard out long hours in in making uh, this stream take place and I know many of you have expressed that thanks as well and so together we just want to say thank you to those individuals. I also want to uh, say thank you to each one that has taken the time to join us as you might be joining us from different spots around the world, different spots around the United States. Uh, it's fun to get together and uh, at this season of our world right now this is a, a neat thing and we're hoping that we can make this a something that's a regular part of our services, and we don't know kind of the format, what works the best uh, as we go just online right now, but we're going to try to tweak some of those things as time progresses. And again, as Ray, one of our elders, mentioned already this morning, we just want to thank you for the generous giving. Uh, we continue to be able to... to handle all the, the bills that are coming in and uh, be able to support missions and be able to reach out to people in our community and people in our church body. And so there's been a lot of generous sacrificial giving that has been taking place over the last month and month and a half. And so continue to, to allow God to work through that, allow that to be a, an opportunity for worship. And thank you to Bradley Erickson that took the time to put together a, a, a class, a Bible study class on apologetics this morning, uh, and if you missed that, that'll be something that's taking place every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., a live stream. You can get to that link through our website, pvcc.info, and there's also discussion questions below the video uh, here this morning, as well as there's a link to a connect card there that makes it a little bit easier for to fill that out, and we'd love for you to do that, and I just can't express to you... Uh, at, enough how much uh, I miss you all and it's it's hard at times to know if everything that's taking place whether it be the live stream or trying to reach out in different ways it, it makes a difference or not and so we just want to let you know that we miss you we love you and we care deeply about you your your walk with Christ and uh, if you need someone to talk to please reach out to us as we continue through this season in our in our world history this morning, the message is called Called to the Impossible, and we begin a series uh, a couple weeks ago called God of the Impossible. In this new series, we began on Easter morning. What better day, what better Sunday than to start a, a series called God of the Impossible on the day where we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior from the grave, overcoming sin and death. What a better time to, to spend thinking about this concept of, of God being the God of the impossible. And in that on Easter morning, we looked at a passage from John, and, and John wrote that out to us. It said, all these things were written down so that we might believe. All the things of the impossibilities that God worked through were written down so that we might believe. And, and then we moved on to the conversation of mountain-moving faith last Sunday. Mountain-moving faith. And as we looked at Matthew 17, there's this idea of if we could even have this, uh, a faith the size of a mustard seed, just something even small and minute, if we, if we get our focus off of ourselves and put it on God, then mountains can be moved. And once again, it, it's God that moves the mountains. And our responsibility is to have even just a tiny, small amount of mustard seed faith 
that we might see the one who we put our faith in move mountains in our lives. And when we remain focused on the Father and we listen for his voice and we respond in obedience, then that's when we see God's real power revealed in our lives. And as we continue to move on in the series of God of the Impossible, I, I can't help but uh, approach a, an idea, uh, a subject of the fact that there's times where we're going to get uncomfortable when we think about God being the God of the Impossible. There's things that God is going to do that are going to be outside of our comfort zone because if we think about it, it's in those moments of the impossible that only God can work. No longer is there any control that we have. We have no ability to, to manipulate the situation. It's all about God. And it's in that place of dependence, that place of trust, it's in that place that we become uncomfortable because... Again, no longer are we in control. And for many of us, we read in the Bible what Jesus did, and we hear about the impossible, and we think, man, that's, that's so way up here, outside of the screen. I'm reaching outside of the screen. It's way above anything that we could understand, and we want to bring the impossible, what God does, down to us. And, and so we try to, you know, rationalize things. We try to Think about, well, that's not really what God meant, or, you know, he's, he's really means something different, and we come up with all these sorts of reasons that we bring down God to our level. We get to the point where, okay, now I'm more comfortable with that. That's, yeah, that's more like the faith that I'm used to living out. Don't give me any of that crazy, wild, supernatural faith. And maybe God is saying to you this morning, stop being satisfied with mundane, comfortable Christianity. Let's stop trying to bring God down to our level and let's allow God to mature us in our faith so that we might strive to live more on his level. Are we willing to say to God this morning, whatever you want, God, I'm open. Wherever you're leading, God, that's where I want to go. God, mature me. I want all of what you have for my life. And I believe that just as many in Scripture were called to the impossible, we too are called to the impossible. Are we willing to allow God to work in the place of our lives that only He can work in those impossible places? Let's pray this morning. Father, as we gather together online, as we look to you for wisdom and direction and strength, for comfort and peace in a time that's difficult, out of the ordinary, Father, I pray that we would depend completely and totally on you, that you would be glorified in everything that we say and do. Father, may we seek you out this morning and each and every morning that we wake up. God, may we be called to the impossible, and may we be open to that in our lives. It's the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33 this morning. So please turn over to Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 33. And right before this, right before this Matthew 14 passage, there was an amazing miracle took place, amazing sign. It was the feeding of over 5,000 people. 
And as I mentioned last week, Jesus was pretty much a pro at the impossible. He was a pro at the miraculous. And so as you look at verse 22, it says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, why do you suppose he did that? Why, why did he send them on without him while he dismissed the crowd? And if we look at John 6, 15, uh, the account of this same story in John 6, 15, you see the crowd wanted to make Jesus king by force. And of course, Jesus knew that that wasn't the way things were supposed to take place when it came to his kingdom. And so he, not, he wanted nothing to do with that. And so to get away from the crowd that was forcefully trying to make Jesus king, he sent the disciples on ahead and he stayed there to dismiss the crowd. And then we're told in verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, why did he do that? And of course, for many of us, we, we've read scripture and we see Jesus do that over and over again. And so you're right. It's something that Jesus did. But I think we forget that even just before the feeding of the 5,000, if you look back at chapter 14, verse 1, we see that Jesus is hearing for the first time that John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. And I think we, we rush by these moments and we really miss out on what Jesus is really going through. Had Jesus really had time to process in the midst of the crowds and, and the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, did he really have time to process what it meant for one of his close relatives, his cousin John the Baptist, to be beheaded by King Herod? Jesus needed the opportunity to take a step back, and I love the picture of our Savior here. Jesus' humanity comes out as he needed to get away from the crowds, to get off by himself, and to get just into the presence of God. Jesus needed to be alone with the Father, to pray, to pour his heart out, and to get perspective. And if Jesus needed that time to process everything that he was going through in life, how much more do you and I need to take the time to be silent and alone with God? See, please never miss out on those opportunities to be quiet. Those times of prayer, those times are essential in our relationship with the Father. And we are told in the rest of verse 23, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Buffeted by the waves, the NIV says. The NASB says the boat was battered by the waves. And the ESV says the boat was beaten by the waves. It's kind of interesting. Three different words, all starting with the letter B. And they all mean the fact that there was this major storm going on that they were in the midst of. Now remember, these were fishermen. They were experts at this sort of thing. And I mean, Matthew wasn't. Of course, he was a tax collector. And so I'm sure he was like screaming like a girl, like I would be, ah! you know, it's just like he was afraid in the midst of this storm. And I'm sure the other disciples were thinking, ah, no, nah, we got this. You know, I, I don't really know all the emotions they were going through. But what I do know is that this was a real storm. 
This was a real storm in the midst of this battering, this buffeting of the waves against the ship. Verse 25 says, during the fourth watch of the night, in the middle of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Walking on the lake. And now my desire this morning, my hope for us is that we might be able to see this story with a fresh perspective. I wish that this wasn't so common to us that when we talk about anybody that does anything really great, that they're like walking on water. I, I, I wish for many of us this morning that this wasn't such a familiar story that it just has become a cliched phrase in our culture. I wish with fresh eyes we could be those disciples on the boat in the midst of the storm, rowing as hard as we could against the waves, understanding that this was not a safe situation and that we're in this moment, it's, it's tough, and then all of a sudden, off in the distance, in the middle of the night, where we could barely see, and the rain's coming down, something, someone's coming towards us, walking on the water. Man, how would we react? I think for many of us, my guess is that we'd react in the same way that the disciples did. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. They were, they were terrified. The only explanation in their mind was that it's a ghost, and they cry out in fear. But had any of them ever seen a ghost? I, I don't know. But that's what made the most sense as they're trying to process the fact that someone or something is, is walking on the water towards them, moving towards them. A ghost was the most logical explanation in their minds, and they're terrified. In verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. You see, Jesus calmed the disciples in the midst of the storm. And he continues to go in, in verse 28 where we read, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, wait, wait a second. Hold up. Now, it's, you know, T, as my kids would say, time out. You know, what, what do you mean? Why would Peter say this? Where, where did this come from? Oh, good. Jesus, I don't have to be afraid anymore. Yeah, so, yeah, go ahead and, and tell me to come out to you, Lord. Yeah, if it's you, yeah, let me, let me step out of the boat and a perfectly sound, good boat that's not leaking or drowning, you know, it's not sinking or anything. I'm going to step out. Where, I, I don't understand. I don't where did that come from? I mean, I realized Peter was one of the very first to always stick his foot in his mouth, or he'd be the first to, you know, preach a sermon on the day of Pentecost in order that he might see thousands repent and, and come back to Jesus and, and be saved. But what made him say, hey, you know what? This would be awesome. This would be awesome. You know, I think I'm going to ask Jesus if, if I should get out of the boat and come out there too, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he's thinking for sure. But guess what Jesus said? He said, come. He calls Peter to the impossible. Verse 29, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. What would that have even been like? 
What would that have been like to, to put your leg over the side of the boat? To, to put it down on the water that normally would just engulf your, your foot. And instead, it held firm. He looked at Jesus. He heard the invitation of Jesus. And he walked on water. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? When I read that the guy that just walked on water towards Jesus had little faith and doubted, man, that's convicting for me. If the guy that got out of the boat put his focus on Jesus actually walked on water because he trusted Jesus, and Jesus said to him, you of little faith, uh, man, <laughs> I'm in trouble, and so are you. Yeah, don't just judge me. You know, I'm not in this room alone. Well, I kind of am for the most part this morning. But you know, it comes back to where we're placing our focus. Is our focus on our circumstances in this world or God, the creator of the world? Verse 32 and 33, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Wow. The disciples saw the impossible, and then one of them did the impossible at Jesus' command. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The path to the impossible, generally runs right through the gate of our fear. Do you see that? So many people live in fear, and so many Christians live in fear, and yet the path to the impossible generally runs right through the gate of our fear. And Jesus, once again, is saying to you this morning, just as he did in the message on Easter morning, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. If you are to answer the call to the impossible, don't be afraid of the storms. If you're going to answer the call of the impossible, you can't worry about the things going on around you. Don't be afraid of the storms. And the disciples were in a storm, and guess what? Jesus knew it. And for many of us this morning, for many of you this morning, you're going through some storms in life. And once again, guess what? Jesus knows about it. We are all facing a time in our world history that it has caused a lot of people to fear. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't be afraid of the storms. Maybe you're facing a storm right now in the context of your marriage. Maybe you're facing a storm right now in the context of one of your kids. Maybe you're facing a storm right now in the context of someone in your family being sick. Or maybe you are fighting illness. Or maybe in the context of your finances this morning, I don't, I don't know completely everything of what's going on in your life. But there are all kinds of storms in life. And things can feel out of control. You can feel alone. And you can feel afraid. 
in one of the messages that these verses are speaking loud and clear to us this morning is that you are not alone and you don't have to be afraid of the storm. Hebrews 13.6 is a powerful verse. It's a verse that's taken from Psalm 118.6 and 7. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? In Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and, and I don't know what bigger storm there could be than the valley of the shadow of death, but he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, you are not alone. There's an interesting phrase here back in verse 22. Jesus made them get into the boat, and he made them go. Question, did Jesus know that there was going to be a storm? Of course he did. God knows that we live in a world full of storms, and he intentionally allows us to go through many of those storms. You see, he has a purpose in those storms. Now, I want to be real clear here. Clear here. I'm not saying that Jesus causes storms to take place in your life to torture you or to, to punish you. But I think that in the context of the world that we live in, each one of us is going to face our share of storms. It's important to understand that God has a purpose in these storms that we face. Jesus let them go into the storm that they would eventually face. And I think God's purpose can broadly be defined in one of two ways, either correction or perfection. You see, we, we go through storms of correction or we go through storms of perfection. Jonah. Jonah was a storm of correction. Remember Jonah? You know, God called him to, to go and speak to the people in Nineveh to call them to repentance. And guess what Jonah did? He said, no, 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 no. And he ran away from God. He jumped on a boat, and, and pretty soon that boat was in the middle of a, a major storm, and, and Jonah ends up overboard. And, of course, there's this big fish that swallows him whole and eventually spits him back up on land. You see, Jonah was in the middle of a storm of correction. God used it to direct, to train, and to teach. And because of that storm, Jonah eventually was a part of seeing people in Nineveh repent and come back to God. The disciple storm was a, a storm of perfection or of growth. I mean, they, they didn't really do anything wrong. In fact, Jesus told them to get on the boat. But what happened in the midst of that storm, it changed them. God had something for them that, couldn't, that they couldn't get anywhere else. That's very important. There are things God wants to show you, impossible things, powerful things. He wants to do the, this in the midst of the storm that you're going through. It couldn't happen anywhere else. You need to understand that he's with you. He has a purpose. And it's always for your growth, your betterment, and ultimately 
your blessing, even if it's hard. So we take hope in that. We don't have to be afraid of the storm. The path to the impossible generally runs right through the gate of our fear. And if we're going to answer the call to the impossible, then the second thing is, don't be afraid of the supernatural. Don't be afraid of the supernatural. In verses 26 and 27, the disciples were understandably afraid because they were seeing something that no one had ever seen before. But Jesus' message was clear. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And that's the thing about the supernatural. It, it makes us uncomfortable. And we try and find some explanation. And for them, the most logical explanation was that fact that maybe it's a ghost. And I think that we try and explain away the supernatural at times because we, like the disciples, don't recognize Jesus at work. And why didn't the disciples recognize Jesus? They'd been around Jesus a lot. Why didn't they recognize him? And I think that simply... They weren't looking for him, and he came in an unexpected way. Do you think that we at times might have the same issue when we don't recognize God, when we don't see him working? Is it because he comes in an unexpected way, and we're not looking for him? And when I say supernatural, what I mean is when God shows up, and God does what only God can do. When God shows up and God does what only God can do. I love it when we get to see God do things that only God can do. Sometimes it's being called to do things that you know you can't do. And then watching God make it possible. Sometimes it's being called to generosity that you know you can't afford, but then watching God meet every single need as you follow him in obedience. Sometimes it's as simple as the fact of when you're looking for your keys that are lost and you're looking here and there and looking and looking and looking and you can't find them and eventually you just stop and you pray and you ask God to find the keys for you. And then you find the keys where you had already looked once before, but God opens your eyes to right where they were. You see, don't be afraid of the supernatural. If you fear the miraculous, you will always be limited to the mundane. If you fear the miraculous, you will always be limited to the mundane. Back in 2008, Jennifer Skiff put a book called a book together called God Stories. She writes, My reason for writing a book of this nature is not the obvious one. I'm certainly not an expert on the subject of God or religion. The idea first came to me when a minister asked if I had any God stories. What do you mean, a, a God story? Well, you know, a God story is a miracle-like experience that proves God exists. No one had ever asked me that question before. I did have stories. I hadn't told anyone before. But I definitely had a belief that I had encountered a divine 
interaction before. The, the concept piqued my interest as a journalist, and I wondered if many other people had stories too. To find out, I began to poll my friends, and what happened next surprised me most. I realized that a divine intelligence that many call God is connecting with millions of people every day. One of my own encounters happened when I was 32 years old, she writes. It was a time of overwhelming sadness and disappointment. Professionally, I was thriving, working as a correspondent for CNN, but personally, I was very unhappy and felt like a failure. I was married for the second time, and for the second time, I was planning to divorce. It was at this moment that I began experiencing a, a de debilitating pain in my right leg. And after months of consultations with doctors who couldn't determine what was wrong, I was sent to the chief of orthopedics at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, where it was confirmed that I had a tumor in my bone marrow and I needed to be operated on. When I woke from surgery, my doctor told me he had been able to save my leg temporarily, but I did, in fact, have bone cancer. And although it sounds terrible, I felt a sense of relief knowing I would no longer have to continue on with my life. And then something strange happened. Within 48 hours of my diagnosis, I began receiving cards, flowers, stuffed animals, and gifts of delicious things to eat. I had no idea how so many people had learned I was in the hospital. A person I hadn't seen since I was a young girl wrote to tell me how I had influenced her life. Notes arrived from different parts of the country from people I didn't know telling me they were praying for me. My friends and family cried and overwhelmed me with their affection. I was engulfed by a warm blanket of love. Nearly a week after the surgery, I was in my hospital bed envisioning my funeral when my doctor rushed into my room, breathless. He looked at me and smiled a big, wide smile. I, I never get to say this, he said, shaking his head and, and throwing his hands up in the air. Benign. Benign? What do you mean, benign? I thought it was malignant. It was, he said. The slide we looked at told us it was malignant. The lab results have just come back, and they say it's benign. We're going with benign. You see, this morning, don't be afraid of the supernatural. If you fear the miraculous, you will always be limited to the mundane. If we're going to answer the call to the impossible, then the third thing that we need to do is don't be afraid to step out. I don't want you to be what John Ortberg calls a boat potato. A lot of times we're, we're hard on Peter. Did he fail to complete his bold walk of faith? Yes. But what about the 11 back in the boat? As Ortberg says, I would rather be an inept water walker than an inactive boat potato. I believe God has a higher purpose for us than just to stay safe and avoid failure. For many of us, it seems like our highest value in life is to try to stay safe, to take no chances. But is that what Jesus wants? 
Is that what Jesus called us to when he said, take up your cross daily? And I think God has called us to something higher and bigger and nobler than to see how safe we can play it. An interesting gravestone in the Midwest belongs to a woman named Nancy Jones. She was the oldest living member resident of this small town where she lived and where she had died. And the newspaper editor wanted to do a story on her life. She had lived in this community longer than anyone else. But as he reflected on her life, he could think of no scandal. She was never in trouble with the law. But he could also not think of anything significant that she had ever done for anyone else in all the years of her life. And so he turned the assignment over to a new kid who wrote the sports column. This is what the sports writer came up with. Here lies the bones of Nancy Jones, for her life held no terrors. She lived an old maid, she died an old maid. No hits, no runs, no errors. Now if you never come up to bat, you will never strike out. But you will never know the thrill of hitting a home run either. Or to put it another way, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. Why did those fishermen leave everything to follow Jesus? To be persecuted and flogged? To be martyred? Because Jesus was giving them a chance to change the world. They were signing up for the adventure of a lifetime. And sadly, the faith we are showing the world today, it's so sanitized and domesticated, it doesn't seem like an adventure. Tony Campolo says, instead of praying if I die before I wake, some of us need to pray, Lord, wake me up before I die. My guess is there are a number of you who would like to try to walk on water. You want your life to matter. You want to make a difference. Don't be afraid to step out and watch God do the impossible. As the praise team comes this morning, we're going to sing a song of invitation, a song of commitment. And if we are to answer the call to the impossible in our lives, it requires us to surrender all of us over to the lordship of Jesus in our lives. And if you need to respond in faith and obedience and give your life over to the one true God for the very first time, please reach out through our digital respond to invitation card that you can find on our website, pvcc.info. If you are in need of prayer or someone to talk to this morning, please do the same. Just click on that respond to invitation card and we will reach out to you. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, you are the God of the impossible. You can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine and yet our fear oftentimes gets in the way. So Father, may we remember this morning that the path to the impossible often goes right through the gate of our fear. God, we want to see you do miracles in our lives. We want to see you do amazing, miraculous things that only you can do. 
And so we surrender all of who we are to you this morning. Father, if there's one this morning that needs to do that very thing, that they've been holding on to their life so tightly that they haven't been willing to surrender it to you, God, I pray that they would not wait another day, that they would reach out, that they would seek you in their lives, that they would begin to be called to the impossible because of what you will do in and through them, through the Holy Spirit's power, that it is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that now dwells within us. God, you are holy, you are majestic, you are worthy of our lives. May we live them daily for you. Into the name of the power of your Son, Jesus, that we pray.